Romans chapter 11, and let's pray. Lord, speak to us tonight wonderfully, powerfully from your word, Lord. We're here tonight. We want to receive from you and what it is you have to say to us. Our hearts are open before you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, remember last week, we ended there in chapter 10. Remember the chapters and verses were added much, much later. The chapter divisions in 1227 uh, by Robert Stephanus and, and uh, later on in uh, 1551 to 1557, Stephen Langton added the verses. But uh, so again, um, Paul was writing a letter to the Romans and just like you don't put chapters and verses with your letters, nor did Paul. And so he's continuing this thought concerning Israel that started in chapter 9 in chapter 10 and now he showed the two sides of the coin in chapter 9 he showed that it's a divine thing that God predestined us before the foundations of the world it's not by our efforts or by our works it's by God's predestined and election and then in chapter 10 he comes back very practically and says whoever calls on the name of the Lord saved and how will they ever believe unless they hear and then he starts this concept of the Gentiles in verse 19 of chapter 10 uh, Israel did not know. First, Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation, and I will anger you by a foolish nation. So we are either classified as not a nation or a foolish nation. Take your choice. But uh, the Jews are what count. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me, the Gentiles, and I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long I've stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So, again, elaborating on this concept of the Jews and the Gentiles. So you have the Jews, by their own righteousness, as we saw at the end of chapter 9, trying to establish their own righteousness by their own good works. Now, again, the law showed us that we can't do it. Even the simplest of law given to Adam and Eve, don't eat of one tree. They blew it. You have the 613 laws between Genesis and uh, the end of the Torah there in Deuteronomy. And, and of course, 613 laws, how overwhelming. Adam and Eve couldn't keep one. All of them were to point that we can't do it. I need somebody to save me. I need a Savior. And that's the whole point of the law. But not with the Jews, you see. With the Jews, they're going to do it. They're going to make it. And, and they're keeping it. By their own interpretation, they're making it, you see. And when Jesus comes on the scene, of course, read the Sermon on the Mount. He makes it clear, we're not making it. Well, I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, but you had anger in your heart. And God looked at the temperature of the anger in your heart. And he counted it in, in his books as murder. Now, on the other side of the coin, you have the Gentiles who are just in their own sin. They don't have the law. They don't know about Moses or Abraham or Isaac or they don't know about the prophecies given by Isaiah. They're just out sinning and, and living their own lives and their own pagan religions and, and they're quite satisfied with their goddess Diana and Zeus and Hermes and all these guys. And they're just in their sin thinking things are fine. But when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, you see, the Holy Spirit, John 16 tells us, was sin in the world, convicting men of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And so those who weren't seeking God all of a sudden begin to get convicted about their sin and they begin to realize there is a judgment to come and, and I'm a part of a false religion. And so God began to call out these Gentiles who 
knew nothing about God. Why? To provoke the Jews to jealousy. Now, some would say, that's right. God's thrown away the Jews. He has the new Jews are the church. And so now as you read the Old Testament, you just need to take out the word Jew and put in the word church. You need to take out whatever blessings were going to Abraham and the blessings are going to now the born-again believers. The Jews are out of the picture, some would say. Well, Paul is saying, no, although God's arms are outstretched to the Jews and although they're not coming, in no way, shape, or form are the Jews cast away. And folks, this is a very important teaching tonight, and I hope we catch it. And he says here in verse 1, I say then, has God cast away his people? Does it matter if you're a Jew anymore or not? Certainly not. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham and the tribe of Benjamin. So Paul is saying, I am a Jew. I'm a saved Jew, but I'm a Jew. Or as they call it today, completed Jews. So Paul did not give up his Jewishness when he became a Christian. In other words, does it matter whether you're a Jew or a Gentile? It still very much matters that the Jews are still God's chosen people. And today the blessings that were given to Abraham in Genesis 12 still stand. If you bless the Jews, you're going to be blessed. If you curse the Jews, you're going to be cursed. And I think history continually proves this to be so. Interesting that you can go back to 1948 where the Jews were trying to reestablish themselves as a nation again. And we, America, were the first to say, yes, we recognize Israel as a nation. We were the first. I love it. And what nation has been the most blessed nation since 1948? By far, the United States. On the other hand, England who actually put to death Jews, not purposely, but trying to turn them away, sending them back to Europe as they were trying to come in uh, into the Promised Land, come into Israel, and they were turned away. And many Jews, the idea of going back to Germany or going back to Poland, going back to Europe where they were so brutally treated, just jumped out of the boats and started swimming towards the shore of Tel Aviv. Thousands of Jews drowned because England wouldn't let them. They would shoot bullets at them, telling them, go back. They wouldn't let them come into Israel. And you look at England since 1948 and how cursed they have been because they would not bless the children of Israel. And if our country and unfortunately our president could, couldn't give a hoot about Israel, he's much more uh, sympathetic towards the other nations. I'll tell you, it's a scary place to be. I would never lift up a hand against Israel. I don't care what they're doing. They are God's chosen people. They are still the beloved of the Lord. And there's no way I'm going to lift my hand up against Israel. God has not cast them away. Paul says, personally, I'm saved and I'm a Jew. I've kept my Jewish identity. Now, on the other hand, he says in verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. So if you go back to Abraham and listen to what God says, it's an eternal covenant 
Reread Genesis chapter 12 and forward. You'll see that the promises God made to Abraham was to his descendants forever. You look at the promises God made to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and King David, you'll find that the promises was unto his seed forever. That's what the Bible says, folks. God has not forsaken his people, nor will he forever. Now, what are the Jews? The Jews are a type for us to see God's nature. You say, well, let's look at the Jews. How rebellious, how stubborn, at times downright wicked they were. But God never gave up on them. Okay, let's look at you. How stubborn, how rebellious, how downright wicked you are sometimes. And God hasn't forsaken you either. You see, they're a great witness to us. They're a great comfort to us. Because we see there in Psalms 106 where they're sacrificing their sons and daughters unto demons. And what does it say? And God relented concerning His anger and forgave them. My goodness, they actually sacrificed their babies unto demons and that would be it. I can't, you know, hey, rebellion in the wilderness I can handle. Worship any other God I can handle. But sacrificing your babies and your demons, no way, I'm through with you. That's not what we hear. God forgave them and it said many times they did it again. And then God would forgive them and they would do it again. And God would forgive them and they would do it again. And God would forgive them. My goodness. What great comfort it is to us where the Bible says, confess your sin. He'll be faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin. But, 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 but you don't know my situation. Let's turn to Psalms 106. You see? And there you look at Psalms 106, you say, wow, my situation's not that bad. I didn't sacrifice babies unto demons. Okay, well, even if you had, God would have still been there to forgive you. So he foreknew them. In verse 2 he goes on, Or do you not know what the Scripture says of Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Boy, <laughs> some great guy to have in your corner. Lord, they killed your prophets. They've torn down your altars. True. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I've reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Israel as a nation on the majority has rejected the Messiah, no doubt. Absolutely. Does that mean God's given up on His country? No. If you go back in history you'll find that this is not an uncommon practice of the nation of Israel. You can go back and take many snapshots at various times and take a shot of the children of Israel over a 40-year period or in some cases over a 100-year period and you know what you'll find? The majority of the country has turned to worship Baal. At that time, did God give up on them? No, He didn't. He sent prophets to them to warn them, to tell them to repent. He put famines in the land where they had no food and had no water. He did all kinds of things to punish them, to wake them up. And even when you have a guy like Elijah who feels sometimes like we feel towards the Jews, 
Man, they're just a bunch of rebellious people. The highest population of atheists of any, of any nationality is Jews. <laughs> if you take any, you take the Armenian, or you take the Italians, or you take the Romanians, any, you can take any people group you want on the face of the earth and say, what percentage of atheists do you have? The Jews, the majority of Jews today are atheists. And so you have a tremendous amount of people that say there is no God because of the Holocaust. If there was a God, why would you let us go through the Holocaust? What was Elijah feeling? A man of God who loves the Lord and wanted to see a true revival amongst God's people, but he got disappointed, he got frustrated, he got depressed. And he said, okay, I'm tired of them. Get rid of them. And God said, uh-uh, that's you, that's not me. That's your heart, that's not my heart. I've always kept the remnant. And Elijah, there's 7,000 men, prophets that you don't know about, like yourself, you just don't know. Now, we don't know. We look, and we're going to see here, it says, the hardening of Israel happened in part, it says in verse 25, we'll get there. It's still only a partial hardening. Now, I've hung out with Jews over in Israel. And I'll tell you what, they're difficult people sometimes. I mean, there's sometimes I just want to, oh, you know. They are a very obnoxious people. They just really are. And even the ones outside of Israel are because they have a tendency to be prideful because they're right. And they usually are right, and that's what makes it worse. But they're, they're very, they're always going to have the upper hand. If you've ever tried to do business with them, you better watch out. They're not rich for no reason at all. They're very shrewd business people, and they'll get the upper hand on you. And wherever you go, whether it's lawyers, probably the best lawyers are Jews, best businessmen, but they're very shrewd. You've got to watch out. However, we may get frustrated, but there's only a partial hardening. There is still the underlying calling of God upon Israel as a nation. And God, for his own, out of his own self, for his own reasons, has established Israel as a nation. Prophetically, you can read the scriptures, Israel must be a nation at the rapture of the church. And of course, I'm not going to go into the whole teaching on the end times. But I will say this. It's a clear documentation of God's faithfulness. You think about it. God's people were called by Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was faithful to these obstinate people. They wouldn't obey God no matter what he told them. They get scattered to the four parts of the world under the Babylonian Empire. Seventy years later, God brings them back into the land because they wouldn't tithe, that seventh year tithe that God had told them to do. And so for 490 years they wouldn't give that tithe and you divide seven into 490 and that comes out with 70 years. So God says 70 years you're not going to be in the land. He brings them back into the Babylonian rule after it uh, with the um, Mede and Persian rule he brings them back. You can read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah. But still the children of Israel won't repent. 
uh, on the whole, a majority, only a remnant comes back to Israel. Then you have the Greek Empire that oppressed them. Then you have the Roman Empire that oppressed them. But what do we read there in the book of Daniel chapter 9? There's a prophecy that said you can calculate it after the rebuilding of Israel starts again. There would be a time period and the Messiah the Prince would come and he would be cut off. And the Bible tells us at that time that there would be 490 years left of Israel. And if you add it up until the Messiah the Prince would be cut off, the Bible said there would be 483 years. There's still seven years left that God said he would deal with nation of Israel as a nation. That is going to be the seven-year tribulation period. So the Jews are going to, the, all the Gentiles will be raptured up and all the believing Jews will be raptured up to be with the Lord and there'll be a seven-year period where God is going to concentrate on saving all of the Jews once again. And at the end of that seven-year period, those who have been to Petra, who will hide out there in that rock city there in Jordan today, God will repopulate the earth for a thousand years. But it's interesting that God's final point as we see it in that last, as life as we know it, the last seven years of that life will be to save Israel, to bring Israel back into himself before the thousand year millennial period. God is faithful right to the very end to Israel. God is faithful. So how much more God is going to be faithful to us after the cross. And so it's important that we don't get the Elijah spirit and say, Lord, we're against Israel. No, we're not. There's a remnant. Always there's a remnant of Jews that have always believed from after Jesus raised from the dead till today there's still a Jewish remnant. A matter of fact, there's a Calvary Chapel in Jerusalem and there's a Calvary Chapel in Tiberias right on the Sea of Galilee today. I love it. A remnant even in Israel today of Jews. The Peters and the Johns are still over there today. So personally, Paul says, look at me. Now we find in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul says his salvation indeed was an example to those who would believe. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 16, he says, However, for this reason I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. So how did Paul believe? Remember, Paul was on the way to the road of Damascus. He was going to persecute the Christians, as Jews today often do. And as they were heading, as he was heading there, the Lord struck him down. And it says three times in the book of Acts. Why would it give Paul's testimony three times? It's the same writer within 28 chapters. He's clearly trying to make a point. Wake up and listen to the testimony of Paul. And the testimony of Paul was that he had a revelation of Jesus Christ. He saw a light. He talked to Jesus. And he believed. And the blind that had, the blinding that was there, he couldn't see for a time. It came off and then he clearly saw. Now, who came and touched Brother Paul 
it was a fellow Christian Jew who came and laid his hands on him and said, Brother Saul. <laughs> now he argued. He said, God, I don't want to go talk to that guy because he's going to try to kill me. But notice he was in prayer and then he laid his hands on him and he believed. Now if you go over to Zechariah chapter 12 to chapter 14, you'll see at the coming of the Lord that they're going to look on him whom they've pierced. And it says they'll believe. And so Israel is going to see Christ and they will look on those hands that they pierced and they will believe. And so we don't want to get an attitude towards them because there is right now an underlining lack of belief in them, but it's only for a temporary time. And so don't be against them like Elijah was. And in verse 6 of Romans chapter 11, and if by grace, then it is no longer of work. So there's election. How? How are they elected? By grace. Not of the Old Testament laws they're trying to do, but by grace. That it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. <laughs> so he's saying, don't mess up the definitions. We are saved by grace. The word charisis, the root is gift. Ephesians 2 says, we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourself. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So, how did we get saved? Well, we were typically good people. And we came in this curve in our life where we started being better people than we normally had already been good people. And God said, look at these good people getting gooder. I think they're now finally ripe to be saved. Is that how it happened? No way, no how. We were blind to our sinfulness. The Jews are blind to their sinfulness. We were rebellious. Hey, Brian, let me pray for Get away from me. Don't pray for me. I don't want you to pray for me. Well, why don't you come to Bible study? How boring. That's for old women and little children. I'm not going to go to a Bible study. How stupid. Well, let's follow the Lord. Man, I'm not going to be constricted and restricted and bound up. And I'm not going to. I'm free, man. We were blind. We were rebellious. The Jews are blind. The Jews are rebellious. How are we saved? We really don't know. It just happened. We saw our sinful condition. And it's like, how could we not have always seen our sinful condition? It was just the light shone. We heard about the Lord, didn't really understand it, but knew we needed Him. There was a song, there was a prayer, maybe to come forward, maybe not. We just believed. When and how? I can't really tell you. It just happened. It was just God. He did it by His grace and by His love and by His mercy. And, and now after the fact, a few months into it or a few years into it, I look back and I'm going, wow, it was just supernatural. It was radical. It was so powerful. And oh, thank you, Lord. I don't know really when it was you began to touch my heart. I can sort of give some indicators. I'm not sure exactly how you touched my heart because I was so rebellious and so hard. I was so really, but here I am, I'm saved. God did it. It's just 
by Him. His goodness, His power, His love, His mercy. Him, 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 Him. Grace. You see, He just hemmed me in. Grace. How are the Jews saved? By grace. Just God did it. God in His mercy. God in His love. What did we do? Nothing. We stumbled around and poked around and slipped and fell and got up. And, and a few years later, we finally began to catch on going, wow, this God is good. I want to live completely for Him. And we're continually in surrender. But it's Him. And in verse 7, what then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. That is, nationally as a nation, the remnant has. But the elect have obtained it. Elect of Jews as well as elect of Gentiles. And the rest were hardened or blinded. This is what the Bible had said all along. So God's not shocked with the results. He always knew the results. Here's what the results would be in verse 8. Quoting back um, there out of Isaiah. He says, God has given them a spirit of stupor eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And in verse 9, and David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see and bow down their back always. So they are a rebellious and blinded people. It blows my mind as I we have our tour guides over there in Israel. And here are these unsaved Jews. In some cases, they were actually atheists, and some they were liberal Jews. And here they are listening to this incredible Bible study, sitting there. And I, and I met some of these guys that sat there with Chuck Smith and Hal Lindsey and John Corson and Skip Heitzig and all these guys. And there I am teaching a Bible study by the Sea of Galilee. And there is the Jewish tour guide, all happy and nice and, you know, as they're supposed to be. They're getting paid. <laughs> and they're listening to this study and the Holy Spirit is there. The power, the conviction of the Lord is truly there. God's presence is meeting us there in our Bible study times. And they're there. And you're going, man, they have to be getting close. Man, it has to be getting near. And you realize... Man, the Bible is true. <laughs> These guys are just truly blinded. And as you talk to them, you realize they don't have a clue. Even though they've heard probably as many Bible studies as I have, because in those two-week period, um, you end up teaching uh, about three Bible studies to five Bible studies a day when you're taking that tour of Israel. And some of these guys have been doing it since the late 60s. We had a tour guide that had been doing it since 1967. Hearing continual Bible studies, but yet not any of it is clued in. Not any of it has sunk in whatsoever. Well, in verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? In other words, fall completely? Out of the picture? Certainly not. But through they, though they fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if they fall, if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? So think about it. These Jews are so anointed, even when they sin, people get blessed. 
Even when they reject the Messiah, people are blessed. Even when they turn from God, there's still a blessing to planet Earth. That, that's mind-boggling. So here they rebelled against their Messiah. They rejected the Messiah. What happened? The Lord said, okay, if my people don't want me, then I'll open the door unto the Gentiles. And so here we are today, clearly as testimony to the grace of God. Why? Because God said, I'm going to use the Gentiles to bring about jealousy in Israel. And so it's interesting today that the average Christian, at least in a Bible teaching church, knows the Jewish Bible far better than any Jew. I used to witness to the Jewish rabbi out of the prison quite a bit for four years. And I would always come up to him and say, hey, you know this verse, you know, and quote him, no, I don't, what are you talking about? That, that verse isn't in there, you know, and I'd show him a verse, oh, I don't know what that verse means, you know, and but I knew the Bible far, far better than the Jewish rabbi did. I knew it far more comprehensive than he did. And the average Jew know, or the average Christian knows far more than the Jews today. If you go to a Jewish synagogue, they have their appointed verse for the Sunday, and they'll read it and they'll talk on it for 10 minutes. But at that rate, you know. <laughs> in a million years you'd get through the Bible and you say well what about the young Jewish boys don't they have to study the scriptures and so forth yeah they do but it's before the age of 12 and after the age of 12 you rarely find a Jew reading the Bible any longer and so I mean how much do you remember if you know back before 12 and so again there's not that maturity in the word whatsoever there's that simple 12-year-old mind who read it, and it's basically just the first five books of the Old Testament, by the way. It's the Torah. The rest of the Old Testament, most Jews have never read. And so I do this from time to time with my kids, you know. I'll just tell one of them, hey, come and sit on my lap. No, no, I don't want to. Oh, no problem. And I'll grab one of my other kids and start kissing on them and hugging them. And, and all of a sudden, you know, they come over and start pushing, going, let me up there too, you know. Sure, you know. Provoke them to jealousy. It's always the way to do it. And so God is saying, come here, Jews. Come here, my people. Sit on my lap. No, I don't want you to be my Messiah. Okay. Come here, Gentiles. You sit on my lap. And so God's trying to provoke the Jews to jealousy through the Gentiles. We'll come back to that last part of verse 12. How much more the, their fullness. We'll come back to that when we get over to, to verse 25. But in verse 13... For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If you go back to Acts chapter 9, verse 15, when God saved Paul, he called him to be one who would go preach to kings, to those in authority, to the Jews also, but mainly he would preach to the Gentiles. Now, how did the Jews like that? They hated it. Look over, if you would, to Acts chapter 13 and then Acts chapter 22. But look over to Acts chapter 13. Turn to the right just a couple of pages, not very far. You'll, or to the left, excuse me, a couple of pages. Don't turn very far. You'll turn too far. Acts chapter 13. There Paul is preaching, and the Jews are listening for a while, and then they say, nah, we don't want to listen to this stuff. 
And in verse 42, when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. Revival, folks. Wow. Love it. Well, when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. You see here? And the con contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It is necessary the word of God should be spoken to you first, referring to the Jews. But since you reject it and judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, <laughs> that's pretty hard, since you don't want to live forever, you want to die and go to hell? Okay, that's fine. Behold, we will turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord's commanded us. This is what God told us Jews to do anyway in Isaiah 42. I have set you to be a light to the Gentiles. So that's what his Jews are here for. That you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. So the Gentiles are going, oh, we like that, that verse in Isaiah, you know, this is great. Now, if you go back in Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, the first blessing ever pronounced to the Jews, I will make you a blessing to the families of all peoples. I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and I'm going to make you a blessing to all nations, to everybody on the face of the earth. And so again, this has all been built in ahead of time. So you say, well, the Jews have rejected their Messiah, but the Messiah knew it. Back when he first spoke to Abraham, he knew that that would ultimately happen. And in Acts chapter 22, there Paul has, was being beaten because of some false accusation by the Jews in the outer courts of the temple. The Romans come down off the Antonio Fortress, come down the stairs, rescue Paul from being beaten to death. And he's heading back up the stairs at Antonio being taken into the Roman jail there to save him. And, and Paul said, please, let me speak. And so from the steps there, Paul begins to talk to this massive amount of Jews during the festival times. And as he's teaching them, he's going back, giving them an Old Testament Bible study, sort of like Stephen did. And then he said, and then he starts giving his personal testimony, how he was persecuting the, the Christians and how the Lord touched him. And then in verse 21, and then he said to me, Jesus said to me, depart for I will send you as far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust in the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that he might know uh, why they shouted so against him. So they're like going, what in the world did Paul say? You know, he's speaking in Hebrew at this point and the Romans didn't understand it. And they're going, hey, let's go in and find out what this guy is saying. He is saying something that's outraging this whole country. And we've got to find out what it is to stop it. And so they begin to whip Paul to find out. Of course, he said he was a Roman, so they wouldn't whip him. Uh, he had been whipped too many times at this point. And, um, and so all he had said is, God sent me to the Gentiles, and the whole nation was outraged at Paul. 
And so we see again this provoking of jealousy uh, to those who are my flesh that some might be saved. Now, in verse 15 of Romans 11, For if their being cast away, temporarily now he's talking about, is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? So if right now they're being temporarily cast away because they rejected the Messiah, what is going to be it when they come back? Wow, what an explosion that's going to be. For listen to verse 16, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Now, he's quoting that concept back in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 9 through 14, and Numbers chapter 15, verse 17 to 21. And this is where um, they were, the children of Israel instructed when they came into the promised land that when they picked their fruits, they were to take the very first of them and give them unto the Lord. And then God would sanctify the other 90% and make it all blessed and holy. When they made their first loaf of bread from the wheat, they were to take of their dough and take the dough and to give it to the priest. And then the rest of the bread that they would bake would be holy. And so he's saying, how did the children of Israel get a blessing on all of the crop? It was by giving that first 10%. How did they get the blessings on all of the bread they would bake? By giving that first 10%. And he's saying now, what about the Jews? Well, we look at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We look at these men of God that God chose and took. So if the first of them are holy, what's going to happen to the rest of them? God is going to eventually make them holy as well. And so this is the analogy that he's drawing. And then he goes on with the tree concept in verse 17. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root su supports you. So let's look at this Jewish tree. Now the roots go down deep. The roots go back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses, and King David, and all the prophets you see. The roots go down deep. Now the branches begin to come up, and some of the branches rejected the Messiah, so those branches were broken off. They were cut out, literally, not just broken up, but cut out. And what happened is they took another type of olive. Now, maybe if you've been raised in the city, you don't know. But I was raised up in Central California, and this is a very common practice. As a matter of fact, when I was a teenager, in our backyard, we had a citrus tree with four different citrus fruits on it. We had an orange tree that we grafted in uh, two types of grapefruits and lemon. It was quite radical, you know. You go out and you pick off oranges, and from the same tree you pick lemons, and from the same tree you get a sweet grapefruit, and from the same tree you get a sour grapefruit. You can do that because they're all citrus, you see. 
Now up in Fresno, there they have the gardens and there's one tree, I've been told, that they have over 22 different fruits on one tree. And so you can graft them in. And so picture this tree, out is cut out, the natural branches, and then you get this Gentile olive branch grafted in. And there it is, producing olives, not the same Jewish type of olives, but a Gentile type of olive that's coming on the tree. So now, does the olive, that wild olive branch, look at the other branches? Now, some are believers. Remember, God saved a remnant. Look at them going, well, you know, we're the real olives now, not you. No, God still has His Jewish olives too. And we don't want to look down at the root of the tree going, I'm really what counts. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, forget it. Moses, forget it. Dean David, doesn't matter. We're far greater than any of them. Remember Jesus looking at John the Baptist as they were questioning Him about John Baptist. They said, what do you say about John the Baptist? And Jesus said, John the Baptist is the greatest man that has ever lived. But those who are after the cross, even the least of them will, is, will be greater than even him. So is it true that a person who is born again is greater in spirituality, greater than anybody in the Old Testament? Absolutely true. Why? Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon them. But when Jesus Christ died and rose again, the Holy Spirit now can come in us. So it is true that we are greater than any of the Old Testament saints in the fact that now the Holy Spirit is in us and we are the Holy of Holies. They could come to the temple and they could see the priests do their work, but they could only at best, if you were the high priest, go into the Holy of Holies once a year. And that was the high priest. But we are the Holy of Holies. God actually lives in us. So we are truly greater. But do we get boastful and look down at the roots saying, I'm really what counts? And he says here in verse 19, You shall say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Don't forget, you're a graft in. You're not original. And in verse 20, well said. Did I skip a verse? I don't think so. Verse 18, let's go back just in case. Do not boast against the branches, but if you boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then. So we folks are a part of the Jewish religion. We, if you want to say, what religion are you? We are a Jewish sect. We are the Christian Jewish sect. What is your lineage? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They are also... We are of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So we don't want to forget our roots. We use the Old Testament, and it is important to us because we know that we are Jews. Our Messiah was a Jew. Jesus was a Jew. He was born in a Jewish household. Okay? And so we are very much indebted to the Jews, and we are a part of the Jewish religion even today. And so he goes on there in verse 19. You shall say then the branches were broken off that we might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off and you stand by faith. So why were you grafted in? The same way we have the Abraham branch or the Isaac branch, the Jacob branch, because they believed in God. They were, they were on the tree. Why were you grafted in? Because you were of faith. Why were they broken off? Because they wouldn't believe. They didn't believe in their Messiah. So do not be haughty, but fear. 
Why? For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either, you wild olive branch, you. Therefore consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you goodness, if you continue in His goodness. Otherwise, you will also be cut off. Now, some ask the question, Brian, do you believe in once saved, always saved? I'll say, well, you know, there is no verse that says, you know, First Timothy, you know, 10:12, for the Lord has said, once saved, always saved. There's no such verse, okay? I say it depends on the heart of the person. You see, if you're asking me that question because you really want to go out and sin, and you just want to make sure that you're going to go to heaven while you're sinning, then I'll say, you know what you need to concentrate on? The severity of God. If that's your heart, you see, you're not saved. Because the true born-again believer says, how can I live more for God? Not, what can I get away with and still be right with God? There's something wrong with the heart. You see, I don't go to my wife and say, did you really mean it when you said you would never divorce me? No, I really meant it. All right, because see, I want to go fool around. See, something's wrong there. There's something wrong. So God comes to us and gives us verses of security. As we see there in Psalms 23, His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Oh, I love that verse. But now if you want to use that for a proof text so you can go out and get drunk this Friday night, I, I fear for you. But if you stumbled and fell last Friday night, you said, I'm going to stay home and kick back and read the Bible and go to home fellowship, and I, but yet your old pals came after work and seduced you and got you out and there you got drunk and you're an alcoholic but you're not ready to admit it and, and you're going, Brian, I, I've been a Christian for a year now and uh, are you sure God will never leave me or forsake me? And then he says, I blew it. Yes, God will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you. His goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You stumble, but God in His grace will pick you up, you see. There, it's the hard attitude. And so I know that the goodness of God's always going to be mine. I don't ever worry about being plucked out of that branch. I don't have to worry about being broken off because my heart is not saying, what can I get away with and still be right with God? But if that is your heart, I fear for you and I would concentrate upon the severity of God. Because the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. It's the fear of God that keeps us from evil. And that's where you need to concentrate. But if you're already past that, and you know God is yours, and you are His, and you want to live for Him, and the greatest fantasy of your life is to live holy and righteous and pure, and to be fruitful unto your God, then you don't have to worry about being broken off. But, if you are one of these theologian type that say, well, I know 20 verses that say otherwise, Brian. I would say your haughtiness should scare you. 
For if God did not spare the natural branch when they got haughty, but broke them off, what do you think He won't break you off for? Well, Brian, you didn't answer my question. Well, the best I can. Sorry. Verse 23. <laughs> and they also if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So you have some Jews out there that rejected their Messiah, Paul the Apostle. Break. Cut him out. He's laying on the side, you see. And there the Lord stops Paul on the Damascus row. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. He goes in. He believes. God cuts the hole again. Cuts it back in. Pokes it back in. Tapes it up. And it begins to grow back in once again. In the same way, you can read about in Acts chapter 15, Pharisees believed in Jesus. There was a number of Pharisees that became Christians. And the other Pharisee said, that's not fair, you see. But the other Pharisee said, no, it is fair, you see. And so, <clears throat> anyway, that's a whole other story. We won't get into that. And in verse 24, For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? Now, verse 25, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. What's the mystery? Paul tells us in detail over in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn there to verse 11 if you would. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 11 to 22 and I forgot to write that in my Bible. There we go. <clears throat> and there he says, Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision made in the flesh by hand. So the Jews used to call this the uncircumcised and so we were. That at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise. So if anybody asks if you believe in aliens, say, yes, I used to be one. <clears throat> and they were strangers from the covenants of promise <laughs> having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been made near by the blood of Christ. In verse 14, for He Himself, it's emphatic in the Greek, by Himself, without anybody else, by the zeal of the Lord, He Himself accomplished it, is our peace, our shalom. So us Gentiles have a shalom. The peace, our shalom is Jesus. Who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of division between us. That wall, Jew-Gentile wall, has been broken down. Having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is, the law of the enmity, excuse me, the law of the commandments contained in ordinances so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That, we, that He might reconcile them both to God in one body. Through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity, the Jew-Gentile controversy on either side. The Jews 
hating the Gentiles or the Gentiles hating the Jews. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. And through Him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into the holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also being built together for the habitation of God in the Spirit. And so we need to stop the enmity. On more than one occasion, I've had to talk to some of the Christian Jews. And I had to rebuke them. Because they were looking at us Gentiles saying, why aren't you keeping the holidays? What are you keeping Christmas for? That's a Babylonian holiday. Why don't you do the tabernacles? That's probably when Christ was born, you know. Why aren't you, instead of doing Easter, why aren't you doing the Passover? Jesus did the Passover. The apostles did the Passover. And there they basically say to the Gentile churches, you're not Jewish enough. And I have to come back to them and say, you know what? Read 1 Corinthians 6 again. Read 1 Corinthians 10. There is no law for me. And to the pure, all things are pure. I'm sorry, I'm not Jewish enough for you. But you know what? You're too Jewish for me. And so then they can rebuke me, but I'll turn around and rebuke them. And so where is the common ground? I don't know. I just say, love Jesus. Let's just seek His face. Let's get in the Word. And I've seen some Jewish fellowships, and it very much bothers me, because they've actually gone back to the Jewish way of doing the service. And so they're a Christian Jewish service, but yet they stay with the, with the non-Christian Jews week. And so if you were to go to a non-Christian Jewish synagogue, let's say, and this particular week they're in Isaiah 51, and then you go to the Christian Jewish service, they're also in Isaiah 51, and they're doing the same thing. And I say, your people are going to be malnutritioned. Because you have all these prayers and all of these songs and all of these ceremonies and all of this religious stuff the same way they do in the Jewish thing. And it seems to me your people are going to have a hard time growing in the Lord because there's so much religion you're having to cut through to try to get to a little bit of meat. And they say, well, my burden is to save Jews. And if the Jews come to a Gentile-looking service, they'll just up and leave. And I'll say, well, that's fine. Then do that. But don't put it on me. But I think your people are going to have slow growing as religious as you are. It's just a little much for me. But, so, again, there's just that wall that's been broken down. And we just need to say, you know what? Do whatever form you want to do. We're going to do whatever form we do. So you reach out to the Jews. And you have your Jewish look to save the Jews. All right. But don't forget, we're fishing over here in the Gentile pond. So you use your spinner and bait, and we'll use a different spinner and bait. You're fishing for bass, and we're fishing for bluegill. And so 
we're going to look Gentile, so we're going to hang on to those pagan Gentile times like Christmas and Easter because the Gentiles know about those and they'll come to our services. And so again, we have to realize that the wall of division is broken down. We're one body, although it may look different at times with the various churches. But the mystery is, is that the Jews and the Gentiles are one before Jesus. When we go to prayer, we're one before Him. And He says, lest, back in, in Romans now, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened. Now notice, how's the hardening happened? In part to Israel. Not in full, but in part until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, this is a very important concept. And you guys want to know what it means? Come back next Wednesday. Lord, we thank you for tonight. Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for this word as we understand more and more about you. And Lord, we know it's of grace. Other grace is not grace. It's totally by you of your strength, of your power, of your mercy, of your calling, of your... It's not to him who wills or him who runs. It's you who show mercy. And we thank you that although we weren't seeking you, you came and found us anyway. Even though we weren't hungry for you, you gave us an appetite for you. Even though we didn't know we were going to hell, you came by your Spirit and told us of the judgment to come. Although we didn't know we were sinners, we thought we were pretty good people. We... You came and showed us of your holiness and showed us of our sin and of what true righteousness was. And Lord, we thank you that you've called each of us by name. Oh, that's such an honor. And we thank you that you have a place set for us at that marriage supper of the Lamb, even now, waiting for that day where we sit down with you and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Elijah and Jeremiah and all of the saints of old, John Wesley and George Whitfield and... John Knox and oh Lord it's going to be so wonderful to be around that table of the saints of old oh we can't wait but until then Lord help us not to weary in well doing to seek your face to know your heart to live for you be glorified in our life in Jesus precious name Amen